Studio computers online. Archiving 44K. T minus 30 seconds. Server connection confirmed. T minus 25 seconds. The show NSA doesn't want you to hear. Now here is your host, Leno Sanic. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. In this segment we're going to be speaking to Jeff Meek. Hello Mr. Meek. Hello, how are you Len? Good. You were on previously on Black Op Radio, and we were discussing the JFK files. You write a series of articles, and uh, I have a couple in front of me right now. We're going to get to your book. But first, I just thought for people who don't know too much about you, just give me a, a brief background and how you got to write these JFK files. Okay. Well, I first got interested in the JFK assassination, not knowing hardly anything about it. Uh, on March 6, 1975, on that Geraldo Rivera show when um, Dick Gregory and Robert Groden were on, and Groden showed the Zapruder film. And I didn't even know that they were going to be on that show. I stayed up late that night to watch that show because I had heard that Raquel Welsh was going to be on the show. So that's why I stayed up and watched it. And then I saw the Zapruder film. And like so many others, it was like, you're kidding me. And so I just started... uh, He had another program three weeks later, and I recorded that program and found the author's books and was a bit skeptical and looked in the footnotes and uh, still was skeptical. And I wrote to Washington, D.C. for those documents that were referred to in the books. And sure enough, what they were saying is in those documents. So that got me um, really interested. And a few months later, I don't remember how, but um, I found out about Mary Farrell. Um, and contacted her. Uh, in fact, my latest book is dedicated to her. In the in the front, very front of the book, is the first letter that she wrote to me back in 1975, uh, welcoming me to her home to do some research. She encouraged me to write a book, which I did in 1977, called "A Lone Gunman?" Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> and uh, I found a literary agent that was interested in that. But then the FBI released 96,000 pages of material. And he told me that I'd need to get go through that to be current. At ten cents a page, that was nine thousand six hundred dollars, and I think I was making about twelve thousand as a teacher. So the book sat in a box for a number of, number of years. And then the most recent book I wrote, the manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald and the cover up that followed, I finished that in February of twenty one. My publisher got very ill. Uh, nothing happened with it for about six months. Uh, he recovered, and uh, that came out in August of 21. And the book is aptly titled. It's about how Oswald was manipulated and, and how it was all covered up. 
I also still to this day, I, I work for the Hot Springs Village Voice newspaper. Even though I live in Texas, the newspaper is in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, about an hour west of Little Rock. I was managing editor of the paper when I lived there, moved over here, and a colleague bought the paper and brought me back on board as assignment editor and a correspondent. And uh, she and I partnered together and uh, did a JFK assassination-related magazine in 2018. So she knew of my interest and some of the contacts I'd made. And and, uh, so we decided, her and I and uh, the other managing editor at that time decided we'd do a column once a month. It's a weekly paper, once a month, and we call it the JFK Files. So I've been doing that for about, I don't know, 28, 29 months now. And I think we might be the only paper in the United States that writes on a monthly basis about the assassination or something about the Kennedy administration. Well, it's a very interesting set of articles you have, JFK Files. We'll maybe talk about, uh, you released one in August, 22, and then uh, Mm -hmm. there's number 28. Is that the latest one? There's one that just printed this week. It's based on a, a document I found. It's number 29. It's based on a document I found in the new release that I thought was pretty interesting. Very good. And that's, we're talking about January 2023 now. Yes, sir. Okay. Give listeners a brief overview for your August one, number 22, just so people uh, are driving or doing whatever, listen to this, and then they'll go back. We'll make links, and then people can uh, can read at their own leisure. Okay. It's titled, Warren Commissioners and President Johnson Have Doubts. And that's basically what it's about. It, it uh, gives a little background on what the, the mission of the Warren Commission was, uh, what their first meetings were, uh, when the report came out. But then over the next few years, it began to leak out that there were doubts. And it became apparent over the years that uh, Russell, Boggs, and Sherman, uh, those three commissioners in particular, uh, had serious doubts about the single bullet theory which is necessary to have a lone gunman. Uh, I think most listeners would agree. But um, when Jim DiGenio and uh, Oliver Stone came out with JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass, I think they they did a good job of bringing some of that out. And they also pointed out that Commissioner Gerald Ford had told the French president uh, that he felt an organization was behind the murder. And... Uh, there was also an interview shown of John Sherman Cooper about his concerns, and he basically kind of bailed out and said he didn't really think it was um, appropriate for him to, to say much. Um, and then um, I added other information in there about uh, some of the quotes that have come from Russell about saying, you know, he, he would never believe that the same bullet hit Kennedy and hit Connolly and he, and Johnson said, I don't believe it either. And then of course, you know, there's that, uh, Johnson, Walter Cronkite interview of many years ago, um, where Johnson expressed doubts, but that was not aired at the time, but was aired several years later. Um, that, you know, he, he didn't believe the report either. He's never been convinced that there wasn't others involved or something to that effect. You know, Hale Boggs also had doubts. I mean, it just, the only person who didn't have doubts was, guess who? Alan Dulles. 
the former CIA director. And I believe he didn't have any doubts because he knew the answers. And he prayed nobody would find them. Yeah, it reminds me a few years ago that I think Charlie Rose had an event in, in a big arena in Texas. And he had Robert Kennedy Jr. on. And he went and he asked him about it, just as a side note, the assassination. And he goes, oh, you know, my dad thought for sure that the CIA had killed his brother. You know, and mm-hmm. he went into it. And from what I've heard, I haven't seen that one, but it was kind of an embarrassment. And they didn't air it. They just, okay, we're, we're going to shelf the whole thing because we don't want this getting out. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, the people don't believe the story. And Charlie Rose is just a real yes man to go along with yeah. anything. Yeah. This is so interesting because what you mention here is that behind the scenes, many people, you know, important people, they didn't believe this. But somehow the report yep. goes out and so privately they are, you know, to their close friends saying, I never believed this, I didn't believe that. And if someone as high as, as Lyndon Johnson actually had a comment that said, well, you know, we're, we're operating a goddamn murder incorporated. I think that's what his term was. And and then these things are just, uh, it takes people 50 years to find out what what really went on. Yeah, you know, there's another interesting comment that that Johnson is alleged to have made, um, just backing up a bit, the era of of Kennedy's administration, 61, 62, 63. Uh, He's under a lot of pressure to military intervene, uh, if necessary, in Berlin in 61, there's the failed Bay of Pigs in April of 61, followed by the Cuban Missile Crisis in 62. There's plans for an all-out nuclear assault on Russia and maybe Germany or maybe China in 1963. And so he's under a lot of pressure to do military intervention. And he, he doesn't trust his military advisors. He doesn't trust the CIA. And so he leans more on his brother and others. And... Um, where I'm getting with this is it's alleged that after the assassination and the uh, rest of the people are coming back on Air Force One, it's alleged to have been a comment by LBJ that he said, I wonder if the missiles are flying. I, I wonder if Johnson thought there's a coup in place. And I wonder if they fired off these missiles because they were planning on a nuclear attack on Russia. Thank God it didn't happen. It was just, uh, I've heard it called nuclear insanity, that uh, some of our military leaders thought a a nuclear war was survivable. If you lost 5 million people, well, you know, that's that's the way it goes. So I thought that comment was really interesting that uh, LBJ allegedly made. Have the missiles started flying? I think he wondered, has a coup just taken place? Did Did we do this? Yeah, and there's another comment that uh, that he when he got an Air Force One or whatever it was called. I guess when he was in after he was sworn in, they called it Air Force One. But he locked himself in the bathroom for a while. I think it was Godfrey McHugh that said he was in there and saying they're going to kill us all. Like all they got to do is bump me off now as well, and then the generals will, will run the show. And it took mm-hmm. a while for him to say no. You're we're swearing you in. You're president, and everything's going according to plan. Yeah. Well, going back to Robert Kennedy Jr., you know, he he talks about that in that book he came out with a few years ago called American Values. And, you know, during the the 
run up to this December 15th, 2022 document release, you know, he was very vocal about getting the documents out. And um, so although Charlie Rose's uh, program got dumped, he's he's been able to get his, his voice out there some. You know, to some diminishing returns. Uh, I run across people all the time that say, oh, they don't like him. And, and what, you know, it's just unbelievable that he is, um, like he said, when I was trying to get lead out of water and fish, Nobody said a word. But then if I say one thing about uh, is there mercury in vaccines, people label me as a crackpot and uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make things safe. He's an environmental lawyer. It seems that there's money to throw at him to uh, have a character assassination because it's just, it's beyond logic that that people don't like him. But uh, there are those. Well, I think I, I think it goes back to your uh, much earlier point about uh, we had talked at one time about how, you know, it's it's interesting to talk to the different researchers, even if you don't agree with them. You, you know, just keep an open mind, see what you might listen and, and learn about. And, you know, to your point now, um, if you don't have to agree with everything Robert Kennedy says, Robert Kennedy Jr. says. But, uh, you know, even his own father wondered, you know, he contacted McCone right away. Did your people do this? Don't imagine that, though. That's the first question, right? Was it one of your guys, yeah. right? Because, mm-hmm. he, you know, oh, it's come on. It's not Castro. It's not the mob. I mean, if the mob just bumped off the president, then then they would be bumping him off weekly, you know, or, mm-hmm. or the poverty that the mob could do that at will. And, and not face any ramifications, any any consequences. Yeah, yeah. I think, and you know, I chased that mob angle for a long time. And of course, most of your listeners and researchers know that was the angle that G. Robert Blakey uh, focused on and wrote a book about. Um, but the, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were involved somehow, maybe with a shooter or something. But uh, the the one argument that's been uh, or comments that's been made that really made me think again about that is how could the mob have pulled off a cover-up yeah yeah i think that would have been very difficult you know or the autopsy or that i mean what you have yes, to do yes. at arm's length is i say to people you know, who killed kennedy well his enemies did let's have an examination of who his real enemies were and where did the opposition come from okay and if you've got 10 guys let's go through them and it seemed in this case that quite a few of them where they were normally not in the same group and cliques, for in this instance, they were. So in the instance of the CIA working, what do you mean the CIA works with, with organized crime, with the mafia and that? Well, okay, let's examine how drugs get into the country, you know? And, you know, hey, so these guys do have these connections, and it doesn't mean yeah, that they and they, go, and, and they go way back. I mean... We use Lucky Luciano's men and the wharfs and the docks during World War II. And, of course, people at that time, they thought that was the right thing to do. They thought, look, mm-hmm. we're, we're fighting Nazi Germany. We're going to have to have you know some strange bedfellows here, right? But yeah. the alliances were made that you wouldn't normally think happened. And I think in the cover-up of the assassination, many people that you know weren't – it was okay, look, I'll go along with that. I didn't like that Kennedy guy anyway. What do you need me to do? Okay, fine. You know. And, mm-hmm. um, well, there's no question. There's there's been a cover up of information. 
Right, but your article to this JFK files is that even though these people put their stamp on it or they showed up for the meetings, they privately didn't subscribe to the conclusion. That's so, correct. There's and, no doubt about it. And that's the poverty, I think, of, of American justice here is that they will find somebody guilty even though they, people say, you know, I had doubts. I had my doubts about mm. this. How could one man do it? I love the quote which says, how could you get shot from the front from behind, you know? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's right. Yeah, that'd be pretty difficult. All right, well, let's let's go to the next one. You had sent me uh, number 28, new information. And this is going to be about new information. And, of course, um, I'll make a link to number 29 if that's out as well, where it is last week or so there was a, quote, document dump that seemed to be very uneventful as far as, as researchers were concerned. Why don't you go over your article number 28? That one is about a, a book that came out some time ago called Coup in Dallas. I had the pleasure of being a presenter at Chris Gallup's um, JFK, The Continuing Inquiry, last November in Fort Worth. And also there, uh, one of the presenters was Leslie Sharp, who's a co-author of Coup in Dallas. Uh, the author, Hank Alberelli Jr., was the person who wrote the book, um, mostly, and then he passed away. And that's why that book, for those who've kind of followed that book coming out, that's why it kept being delayed and delayed and delayed. And then finally it came out, and it's basically based on a date book that belonged to Pierre Lafitte. Years ago, Alberelli came across this date book while doing other research. And he saw what he felt were these cryptic abbreviations and names familiar to the case, like William Harvey and George Joannides and Jean Rene, uh, Swetra, Clay Shaw, Jack Ruby, uh, General Walker, General Willoughby, and others. When you look through the date book, and I had the opportunity to actually hold it in my hands and take pictures of it and thumb through it a bit, Leslie let me do that. And the date book at first sight, it looks and feels real. But, you know, the, as I said to Leslie when we met, the big question mark about your book is, is the date book authentic or is it just a hoax? Another example of misinformation. And she was very well aware of that and told me that, you know, there's been some authentication done and more is, is going to be done. She said it when we talked in November, uh, you know, as we speak. But I put some of her points in the article, the JFK files, if the book is a fake, she brings up some thought-provoking questions. Like, if it is, how could anyone have been privy to the level of detail that's in this date book before the mid-1970s, unless they were directly involved in the assassination? Because some of the stuff that's germane to the date book, those document, that documentation didn't come out until the 70s. And she also pointed out that, you know, why would Lafitte create a false date book and sit back and do nothing with it? And Or could did Alberelli think he could create a date book that would fool, you know, known authentication experts in London? And I think those are all good points. And uh, in some back and forth emails, you know, I told her that, you know, I was still somewhat skeptical. I'm kind of, I think I said 65, 70% leaning towards that it is real. Because some of the entries are really fascinating. And I mentioned a few of those in the article, examples from some of the pages. In the book, 
are pictures of many of the pages of the date book, but they just don't show up well because of, you know, the paper that, that books are made with. And um, I wanted to put a picture of one of the pages in our paper, too, and it, ju- it just doesn't show up very well. I think if if there would ever be a uh, a redo of the book, a reprint of the book, uh, putting those pages on a on a higher, like glossy, like photo section would would be a really good thing. We've talked about that, and she's she's considered that. But um, there's just a lot of interesting entries in this date book that really make you wonder: is it is it real, or is it is it authentic, or is it fake? And talks about one of them that really caught my eye is. Uh, it says QRTS day one Ruby dash Wilson dash H, and underneath that it says Bond, and then call Ilsa New York City, which is the wife's name of uh, Otto Skorzeny. But you know, there's the documentation out there that a man by the name of John Wilson Hudson turned in information to the intelligence uh, after the assassination that a man named Ruby came and visited. Traficanti, Santos Traficanti in, in Triscornia, or however you say it, prison down there in, in Cuba. And there's Wilson's name in this date book, by Ruby's name in the date book. And there's what really kind of caught my eye about it is there's also, in Jack Ruby's notebook, authorities found October 29, 1963, John Wilson dash bond. And that's the very day before the October 30th entry in Lafitte's date book. I mean, they're almost the same. So that really makes me wonder, is this thing real? I mean, either it's, a, it's, a, it's either a marvelous, extremely well-thought-out hoax, or it's one hell of a find. For listeners who maybe didn't follow, do you want to explain why it is important then? Well, I think it, it points out people who were involved. There's entries in there about Jean-René Swatra, who, you know, we learned in the late 70s was a French assassin who was probably one of the guys who tried to kill de Gaulle in 62. There's the CIA document that shows that uh, he was in Fort Worth and Dallas, November 22nd, 1963, and our government took him out of the country to either Canada or Mexico, and the French authorities were looking for him. And so there's just, there's these names in there, and I don't know all the ins and outs of the book like Leslie does because she's been working on it for years. I'm a Johnny-come-lately. I've read the book twice. It's not an easy read, but it's extremely thought-provoking. You really got to pay attention to what you're reading and take some notes. Um, but the, the people, several of the people that researchers have wondered about in terms of uh, being involved, those names are in there. Right. I think in the very first uh, couple of episodes of The Men Who Killed Kennedy, uh, Nigel Turner, he talked about Sartee, or however you mm-hmm. pronounce his name. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. These connections. You know, and then, like you said, the other side of the coin is they have known to have a limited hangout where they go, geez, few of our guys have got our names there. Let's just say they were doing something else, or let's just leave their name there, but make it so researchers won't know what to believe, right? How can a guy be in two yeah. places at once, you know? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The CIA is very good at that misinformation, muddying the waters. When I interviewed Dan Hardway a year and a half or so ago, he told me about a program I had not heard of before called Eyewash, and, and basically it's it's about internal communication between this CIA employee and another, and they're not even truthful with each other. I mean, it's that compartmentalized. 
And of course, this disinformation has been going on forever. And then you wonder about this trail of two Oswalds and different mm-hmm. things that um, they could be phony records in there where they wanted to find out if they had a mole. If they were looking for an Oswald at this address, then they knew that the guy was a mole because that was fake information. Then before you know it, you've got duplicate details for where Oswald is, even even as far back as where he went to school. You know, how can he be yeah. here in New York or in so sometimes and then an author grabs these records and writes a book about it and you you really have to you know it's kind of like um discovering a skeleton or something and just really figuring well what the hell is it yeah well that whole mole hunt thing is really interesting as you know john newman's done a lot of work on that and you know he very recently also came out with another book called uncovering popov's mole i don't know if you've read it or not it also is not an easy read but it's really interesting. And he's changed his thinking that the mole hunt wasn't to find the mole, but rather it was to protect the mole. And he explains why and who he believes the mole was. I just, I did an interview in the late 70s with a guy who was in the Marine Corps with Oswald. And I've never seen his name in a book. Honestly, I have not. And you know how many books there are on the Kennedy assassination. I don't know how, I don't remember how, because it's been too many years ago, how I came across him. But I did, and um, I asked him some, you know, several questions, and some he he declined to answer. And I, you know, I asked him if there was anything unusual about Oswald. The Marine's name was Ron Crawley, and he said, "I've got my notes here in front of me. I can't give you that information." And that he had to sign an affidavit while serving there. And I asked him if Oswald would disappear from the base at times. And I remember he paused and he said, "I'd say yes." And he estimated the length of time that Oswald was gone to two or three weeks. And this was really interesting to me, two or three weeks at a time, meaning more than once he would disappear for two to three weeks. I believe that's when Oswald was pitched by the CIA. Very interesting. Uh, supposedly taking foreign language, you know, Russian language training, mm-hmm. things like this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I, I called him back several months later to, to talk some more, and he was really hesitant to do so. But I've learned if you know you're kind of polite and respectful, and you keep asking some questions, sometimes you can get a few answers. And he he did talk to me a few more minutes, and um, I asked him if he had ever been talked to about other assignments, meaning Ron Crawley, and he said I can't answer that one. And I said, was Oswald? Do you think Oswald was a, with an intelligence agency when he went to Russia? And he said, it's possible, yes. The CIA was all over the place, meaning at Sugi Naval Air Station. So I believe that's when the connection was made. You know, none of us can prove it, but that's that's what I believe. And I talk about that in my book, The Manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay, let's talk about the book. Where where can people find out more about that to start with? Um, I do not have a website. It is available on uh, Amazon.com. But no, I, I, I don't have a website might find it interesting that um, I think you've at least seen the book. I'm not sure if you've read it, but on the cover and the background is a document. And if you look a little closer at it, it's a, it's not a document. I'm sorry. It's a cover letter from the CIA, and it's from January of 1978. So that gives you a, an indication of how long I've been out, out this. But that's the cover letter that came with the documents I'd been chasing for quite a while on Jean-René Swetra. Bud Fensterwald, uh, J. Gary Shaw... Myself, Mary Farrell, we were really trying to look into that. And that cover letter, or that that which is on the cover, is the cover letter that came with those documents back in 78. But in the book, um, you know, I talk a little bit um, 
about the Warren Commission findings, uh, the House Select Committee findings, and then um, I go into um, what I think. Um, well, I also mention the uh, Warren Commissioner doubts, and then I go into the cover-up, and that if you've paid attention to the research over the years, we've got a lot of bits and pieces from people who work from the CIA that hint at Oswald being uh, an intelligence operative, like uh, when Jane Roman several years ago talked with uh, John Newman and Jefferson Morley and said there was a keen, uh, show her that there'd be a keen interest in, uh, in Oswald. And um, I talk about George de Morenshield um, and his background, um, how even his uh, one of his in-laws told the Warren Commission that he had doubts about the Morin Shield. That you know, if there was a cover-up, I'd be looking at at the Morin Shields. Um, I give several examples in there of of people in the intelligence field. Um, who have hinted that Oswald was involved in an operation or operations, like when Tenet Bagley uh, met with um, fabulous researcher Mark, uh, Malcolm Blunt. Um, they met at, uh, it's my understanding at least, that they met at Bagley's residence in, in Belgium, and they were talking about Oswald going to Russia, and, and Bagley was pretty adamant that Oswald went wittingly, knowingly why he was going. And there's just several of those tips, I guess you could call them, that I reference in the book. And I also give some examples of um, some of the misinformation and obfuscation that takes that has taken place over the years and threats and intimidation. Um, there's one uh, instance that I refer to um, and I've not been able to find her because I, I had questions for her. But um, Christine Niedemeyer was a junior staffer on the House Select Committee and, um, back in the 70s. And um, she did an interview that was put on, I think it was on MSNBC, and it ended up on YouTube on one of the anniversaries. And she talked about how there was a lot of pressure on the committee to downplay any talk of conspiracy and that it was tough to get answers from the CIA. And that during this time, she received uh, a very unnerving phone call. And she'd been getting calls from the FBI about what her views were and what she'd shared with staff. And she said that wasn't so unusual. But after the last of those calls, she received another call, and she just said it was from an intelligence officer and uh, who knew in great detail what she had told this FBI agent and that she leaned towards believing there's a conspiracy. And the caller then asked her, you know, how's things going over there at Georgetown Law School? And how did you like this particular class? And what about your friends, so-and-so and so-and-so? You know, thus obviously showing that this intelligence officer clearly knew a lot about her. And the caller um, suggested to her that, you know, you, you've got a really bright future ahead, so you might consider options of the conspiracy. And um, I point out that and other 
uh, examples of people trying to be intimidated. Um, there's even one that uh, my son mentioned to me as we were doing a book um, that involved Chuck Schumer. Uh, I think in 2017. Um, it was during the time when Trump was just saying how terrible our intelligence agencies are. And Schumer was on, I think it was MSNBC, and he talked about how dumb this is for Trump to uh, to be doing this. And he said, because the CIA has more ways than Sundays to get back at you. And I thought, what? How would he know that? Is that a per, uh, first-hand confrontation he's had somewhere along the line of his career? Why would he make that statement? And I wonder if shortly after he said it, if he realized he shouldn't have said it, because I'm telling you, just seconds later, he starts praising the intelligence community. So that's, that's also some of what's, what's in the book. And then some of the, my uh, writings um, and columns about the JFK assassination that I had written before I did the book that pertain to what I've gone into more detail in the book are also in the manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald as appendices. So that's basically what the manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald and the cover-up that followed is about. Right, and I think it's the cover-up that um, has the interest of so many people because you'd think that, okay, well, uh, let me read a book or I'll look at a few documents or articles and I'll get a good grasp of what happened. And then you find out, well, uh, it's just almost in every instance that the Warren Commission just lied. And it's, it's uh, you know, fake news is going on to this very day where you just don't yeah. believe... Um, the shame of it is, before I think people had a uh, a faith in like Walter Cronkite or some of these people to tell us the the you know the real news. And as a matter yeah. of fact, when Walter Cronkite went on to talk about the Vietnam War, and he said, you know, this reporter can no longer you know condone what what I have seen and learned. And I think that's what Lyndon Johnson said. You know, look, if I've lost Walter Cronkite, I've lost the whole war. Yeah. But the whole thing's yeah. a fraud. So you yeah, type and you know the, the 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 sad part about that, Len, uh, you, know, you talk about all the misinformation. And I completely agree with you. Uh, the sad part of that is I, I, I've heard this. This is an original thought of mine, but I've heard somebody else say this, and I really agree that um, I I wonder. This person wondered. We wonder if somebody came forward with some real information that was true that was very germane to the assassination of President Kennedy, would anybody believe it? Because there's been so much misdirection. You know, it, it kind of goes back to this Lafitte date book. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there that makes you wonder, boy, but is it a fake? If somebody did come out with something that, at least on face value, looked to be proven as significant in solving the case would people even bother to believe it yeah and i had heard similar critique of like the torbit document where they said look this some of these things are true there's there's enough truth in it that you want to keep reading 
and yet then they slip in something else and just I've come across a, a draft of a book that's coming out this year the same thing I go yeah there's a you, you've got a lot of good research here but these couple of conclusions I just don't subscribe to yeah and, and that's that, it that uh, yeah that reminds me when you say that um if folks go to Amazon to buy my book, The Manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald, and they look at the reviews, they'll see one that um, kind of says just what you said, that, uh, you know, obviously Mr. Meek's done a lot of uh, research here, but, you know, I talk about Oswald and the Minox camera and how the FBI tried to get Officer Gus Rose to change the inventory from Minox camera to Minox light meter and that he wouldn't do that and all this and that. So that's part of the book, and this reviewer, uh, on Amazon brought that up that, you know, Mr. Meek's done a lot of good uh, research, but, you know, it's kind of negated when he says that, you know, this is Oswald's camera when we know it was Michael Payne's camera. Well, what that person didn't know is, uh, you know, I've interviewed Ruth Payne several times, and Ruth told me that Michael dropped his Minax camera in the ocean. Now, I don't know if he dropped it in one foot of salt water or 10 feet of salt water, but why? I'm pretty sure that would ruin a camera. And if it wasn't Oswald's Minox camera, why would the FBI want the Dallas Police Department to fudge on an inventory? Yeah, once again, someone would take the time to read your whole book, and then they would come up with that, you know, because uh, I'm looking at yeah. it right now, right? Uh he says uh, Admiral Lee does a good deal with research, but you know, but you know, um, you know this <laughs> yeah. can't be true, right? Yeah. Um, and then you get yeah, the feeling, and, like, and I'm not making, and I'm not, and I'm not making that up. That is what Ruth Payne told me. Yeah, I'm not. That's not trying. That's not trying to. That's not trying to defend myself. That, that's what she told me. Right. But then you think about Ruth Payne and Michael Payne, and and. <laughs> You know, there's a good documentary about them lately. Like, do they have a role of being a babysitter and being um, accessories, you know, after the fact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Max Good's uh, documentary, The Assassination of Mrs. Payne. I had uh, the privilege of being a presenter at the Kappa Conference in Dallas this past November, and Max was there with his documentary. And uh, I thought it was very, very well done uh, because he does point out, uh, things that make you think that Ruth could have been a CIA or a uh, handler of Oswald for the CIA. And he points out the other side of the argument, too. It's very well done. Yeah, I think what's surprising, it wasn't as one-sided as people would think. I mean, he tries uh, the viewer, give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, here's mm -hmm. what you say, and, he, and, and, and here you, you can see her just looking at the camera saying, no, I didn't do that, I wouldn't do that. And, that, and But then... You know, there's documents either previous or after the fact that go, well, but she did. You know, what's she doing down in Honduras and, and the, all these other kind of <laughs> foreign policy type. But anyway, regardless. Um, yeah, well, some of my interviews, some of my interviews with Ruth Payne are in those appendices of my book, The Manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald. And we talk specifically about are you CIA connected? Yeah, well, I guess her another, sister... Another researcher, another researcher that I was in touch with quite a bit at that time said, you know, she really... Ruth trusts you. You need to ask her these questions. And I said, well, okay, I will. And um, you, can, you can read about those in the book. Right. 
Right, I'll make a link to that. Um, yeah, the manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald and the cover-up that followed it is available on Amazon. Yes, and uh, read it and, and add a review. But yeah, it's strange that reviews like this. It reminds me of criticisms of, of Jim Garrison or Fletcher Prouty or some people say, you must have read so much work already to find one little thing that that you don't quite or you want to change to nitpick with and that's what the guy's going to take time out of his day to write this when you know 98 percent of the book i mean you had to get through that and and this is what you find and then you we reveal like through even um Elon Musk and, and Twitter that there's people paid. The FBI paid 3.4 million to have people in the Twitter office to obfuscate, delete, shadow ban, sure. whatever you call it, mm-hmm. information. You know. So well, well, you know, I have. It was many years ago, I think, in the late 70s, that Carl Bernstein wrote that very long article about the CIA and the media. I mean, there's no doubt that it's the media is infiltrated. I mean. Len, is is there any doubt? <laughs> you know, people do, like I watch with interest. And of course people say, oh, I knew it. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of a way of reacting like, why am I surprised? Because um, I know this in a certain fact, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just yeah. on, on a side topic, okay? I've been investigating what the, the Ukraine situation. I had some arguments about it. You know, uh, somebody gave me a good line. They said, listen, to understand how we can end this, we better understand how it began. I thought, okay, great words yeah. of wisdom. And then the second thing yeah. was, yeah. I said to people, well, I was investigating the Vietnam War, and I could talk to you about North Vietnam and South Vietnam, but how come I can't talk to you about Eastern Ukraine and Western Ukraine? And as people get very, it's different now. They're triggered, you know? But mm-hmm. just for something to do, I typed in on, on, it was on YouTube looking for some d- videos, the documentaries, and I said, uh, Ukraine surrenders. And then I get all these things about how Russia's going to surrender. Russia's had it. And then I said, is Ukraine losing? And then it said, you know, Russia is losing. Right? Putin's losing. And it was like, whatever I typed in, it was giving me the opposite. It was so funny. I asked a few friends, look at you try it. I don't know if it's just me. And if you typed in anything one way, the results were the opposite. Really? Yeah. You know, is, wow. if you type in wow. and just try, is Putin winning or, you know, or um, is Zelensky an embarrassment, right? And then it, it just, it, the results were the opposite. They were it was just, it's just jaw-dropping. And you think, wow, well, I, th- I know a little bit about this topic, and let's just say it should be 50-50, somewhere down the middle, whatever. You wonder about how many other searches that you have done for something where they don't show you. Mm-hmm. or they're, mm-hmm. so, you th- so if you do a search and you think, oh, well, Ukraine is kicking butt. It's, any, it's only a two days or three days from now that Russia is going to surrender in humiliation. And, and meanwhile, yeah. if you, you know, people are talking about... Are, are they going to use thermonuclear weapons? Is this going to be? I mean, I should, I should try to understand the world I'm living in, and especially me if I, um, I'm doing a show talking about politics. I should just know both sides of the coin. Sure. But just in the Kennedy assassination, I do know a lot of the facts that I can stand on and say, no, this is yeah. not true. This yeah. is not true. And like you mentioned, yeah. some of these things was they called it the mighty Wurlitzer and Alan Dulles, and he just said, I think you know. Any journalist of any note is already under our, our payroll. And that was back, what, 1960s? Well, even during his time on the Warren Commission, um, I think it's in that executive committee meeting transcript that uh, 
Weisberg published it, Whitewash 4, uh, I think it's in there that uh, Alan Dulles told his fellow commissioners that the CIA would lie if, you know, if there was an agent they were trying to protect, they, they wouldn't admit it. But they're talking about testimony to Congress or, or some investigation. And he admitted, no, they will lie to protect the agency or to, you know, to protect that. And I think that that's how they got away with the assassination, that, you know, people like Alan Dulles or the Lansdales or this, they thought that this was a real threat to the American way of life, communism, and that any, uh, you know, Kennedy was soft on communism. He was going yep. to... Uh, share our information in the space race he was going to end the space race and jointly go to the moon with the soviet union this freaked out i mean you could you could list about 10 things like big business uh the federal reserve uh the cia i'm going to smash them into a thousand pieces and they all reacted that for the better of america this guy's got to go and you mm-hmm. could put well, your they uniform. Saw him as a traitor yeah right that's what i was getting at and yeah. That's how they willingly went along with this charade of the of the Warren Commission. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting that average, you know, concerned citizens such as yourself would look into it and then the what you find is is, is so completely opposite to what the true story is. And whether whether you agree or not or whether you say like for instance if somebody would said I've looked into this and I think that the American intelligence agencies they did the right thing, that Kennedy would have led us down this path of no return, and they really saved the day, you know, because sometimes we look at, like, um, you know, Berlin Wall and communism, and they said, no, we did the right thing, you know, uh, n- now we acted on, on behalf of democracy. So people who, who may have wondered what they were really doing, but then you, you study the Vietnam War, you you look at Iraq, what was going on, you look at Afghanistan, you go, what the hell were we doing? What was really going on there? Well, you know, the, President Kennedy and, and the military establishment could not have been farther apart on what to do in the early 60s. You mentioned Berlin, I think I mentioned it earlier, Berlin, Laos, uh, Vietnam, Cuba, I mean, Kennedy behind the scenes, as was Khrushchev behind the scenes, and Castro behind the scenes, looking for ways to get along. And the, the military establishment was not going to have it, was not going to let it, did not want to let it happen. And they were pushing for an all out nuclear attack in the fall of 1963, if I remember right. And I, I, like I said before, I think. That's what prompted LBJ to say, I wonder if the missiles are flying. Even he wondered. And he didn't believe the Warren Commission report either, as I think I said earlier. And this is the, we have these anecdotes, nothing's really in writing about that, but people say, I was talking to him, or I was talking to this guy, or they say, we got that bastard, or he got what he deserved, I think was one of the Alan Dulles quotes. We have that, but you wonder... If they ever had to put it in writing, you know, what what would they say? This is just kind of private, off the cuff. I hope nobody's listening, but I never believed that. God, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. three bullets. Come on, magic bullet. What are you talking about? And then the fact that yeah. they had the nerve to just show Commission Exhibit 399, and they said, well, just tell them that's what happened, and that's it. You know, if that caused yeah, all yeah. the wounds. And yeah. Well, I, I, for... Um 
One of my very early JFK Files columns, I interviewed uh, a person who was in the Kennedy administration who worked on the campaign and uh, press releases and speeches and stuff like that. And she went along with the Kennedy clan and and those that went to Dallas. And during the, the parade, she stayed on Air Force One. And then word came in that, um, you know, Kennedy had been shot. And so uh, she and one of her colleagues decided to get off of Air Force One to make room for others. And um, they're standing there at the tarmac when Kennedy's body arrived. And um, they ended up on um, the uh, secondary plane, the backup plane. And uh, also on that plane were delegates from Texas and off-duty Secret Service agents. And she told me that the atmosphere on the plane was really grim. And she said that some Texas congressmen were making no bones about the fact that it was good what had happened and that Johnson was now going to be president. And that's what they wanted all along. She said it was so ugly that Secret Service agents came up to her and her colleague and sat them um, elsewhere to kind of shield them from all that that was going on. I thought that was very interesting. I mean, there's been a lot of animosity to uh, Donald Trump, too. And you could see if anything mm-hmm. happened to him, a certain, maybe half the population would say, you know, I never liked that guy. He was the shyster or whatever. But then, um, you know, well, whatever. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. you can see, well, let's just leave that alone. But it, it, I find it very interesting that if you want, you know, you're, thinking talking about today or what's going on in the world and can we believe the news we're getting when we look back to to study the news of that area go no i i can't believe it and here is in black and white how they were lying when when finally yeah i mean just the uh i don't know the irony or the poverty of them holding documents and that's what i was going to ask you about also too 60 years later they say there's still documents we can't release you know what i mean like yeah, so yeah. I mean, to anyone. Well, what are you hiding? Well, you're hiding something. I mean, if you knew it was this guy, release the documents. I mean, there's no yep. sources and methods and this and that, right? You know, like, that's what you said number 29 is a, is about, um, what releases happened last week? Well, it's about a document I, I found that was, um, it was an interview done by Gaten Fonzi back in 1978 for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And he interviewed a uh, retired CIA officer who had 22 years as a covert action specialist, worked in clandestine services of the CIA for a long time. He was on a covert action staff of the propaganda branch of the Cuban task force. Uh, And this officer's name was Joseph Burkholder Smith. Several years ago, he wrote a book, I think in 76, called The Portrait of a Cold Warrior. And Fonzie interviewed him. And I just found it really interesting, and, and without going into any detail, to me, the answers that Fonzie was getting from former Agent Smith just is further proof that Oswald was intelligence-connected. Like Schweiker said, the fingerprints of intelligence are everywhere you look when it comes to Lee Harvey Oswald. Fonzie, for example, asked uh, asked about Oswald. Could he have been a deep cover agent? Smith said if he... If he had been any kind of an agent, agent obviously he would have worked for the Soviet Russia division, which which ran the, the ops for um, the Soviet Union or the counterintelligence staff. And he said 
he was obviously targeted by the Russians and the Cubans, and there's the possibility that he could have been working for people who handled Cuban matters, too. Um, and then he talks about the JM Wave Station and the importance of Miami, and of course that's where George Juanides worked out of. And he also talked about another thing I thought that just kind of jumped off the page to me was he talked about the CIA's counterintelligence staff being very interested in the fair play for Cuba committee and getting a penetration into the FPC would have been a FPCC would have been a very high priority. And in my opinion, my opinion, that's exactly what Oswald was doing. Um, He was a penetration. He was a provocateur when he started that FPCC chapter in New Orleans. He was the only member of the chapter that was part of a CIA operation. And as many researchers know, Oswald was associated with former FBI agent Guy Bannister and had Bannister's address on some of the leaflets. And Smith told Fonzie that there were a lot of former FBI men on Angleton's staff and in the old Western Hemisphere Division, which was run by J.C. King. Thus, to me, at least, it would make sense that Bannister was involved, which isn't, you know, people have thought that for a long time. And to me, this document and what Smith said just kind of reinforces all that. And he he asked about the possibility that Bannister's operation was being funded by CIA through J.C. King. And Smith said, oh, yeah, I think so. And there, there you have, again, Joanides, Carlos Bringer, Oswald in contact with pro and Castro uh, Cubans. The fact that he called himself the treasurer that made him think, that, well, there must be a, a group of people there. I mean, you don't have a treasurer if you're the only the one man there, you know. He also, Smith also uh, told Fonzie that division chiefs had their own funds from which they could finance what what uh, Smith called hip pocket operations, which would only be accounted for between the division chief and the deputy uh, director of plans. So there's more compartmentalization. And he also felt when show when Fonzie showed Smith a picture of uh, Maurice Bishop, Smith said that to him, other than uh, the nose being too thin, that reminds me of Dave Phillips. And the eyes are definitely David's and the mouth which yeah. lends more and more credibility to Fonzie's conclusion that Maurice Bishop and David Atley Phillips are the same person. So I thought it was a, a very fascinating document, and that's what I wrote about in my last The JFK Files, which printed this week. Good. Uh, we'll make a link to that. Yeah, I'd heard of some of these operations referred to as off-the-shelf, just that mm-hmm. they, have, they have some amount of money, and if they need bribery or weapons or something, They've got the money. They don't go to Congress and ask for them, right? Sure. Yeah. There's just a lot of things in this um, interview um, that I just thought were really interesting. You know, about a lot of FBI was on Angleton's staff, and then there's, you know, former FBI agent Bannister amongst all this, and hip pocket operations, and I don't know. I just thought it was very relevant, so I wrote about it. I've only gone through maybe 250 of the documents that have come out, but... I thought, you know, that that one kind of jumped off the page at me. Well, it's funny that just concerned citizens have to go through these documents that the Justice Department or FBI or anything that you think would be acting on the behalf of the American people are acting against them, withholding for 60 years. 
you know? Let me give you the document number. I've looked it up here while we're talking so people can go to the release and find it on their own. Uh, it's House Select Committee document number 180-10070-10404. It's an interesting read. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for that shortcut. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll make a link to your book. You actually have several books. Do you want to go through a few of them? Do you, do you have a Facebook page at all? I think I asked you this no, last time you were on. No. But um, Amazon is the place to find whatever you yeah. have written. About. Yeah, the one I wrote the one I wrote many years ago but didn't get it published until just a few years ago was called A Lone Gunman? Question mark. Right. Uh, that's the one that Mary Farrell helped me with and uh, encouraged me to do. Then in 2021 was the manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald and the cover-up that followed. Uh, another interest of mine has, over the years has been uh, saying World thank you and yeah, saying thank you to veterans. I wrote a book of World War II stories called "They Answered the Call." World War II veterans share their stories. There are 75 stories in there. Many of them are combat stories. Many of them. Um, the veteran just never told their spouse, their children, their brothers, their sisters, whatever. And I just finished another one that I'm waiting um, for uh, a person to write a foreword for it. I've written another book of 85 stories, and the working title is War Stories, Oral Histories of Those Who've Served. And I hope that's out by March. We'll see. Okay, very good. All right, well... Thank you so much for this. I'm gonna. I haven't read number twenty nine, so I'll have to dig that up or read that. Thank you for uh, your continued uh, research into this. Like I say, um, it kind of shows the American people that you can't trust the real, the, the mainstream news networks, and the no, fact uh, of, of how they would obfuscate and and distort. It's it's just a. It's really Orwellian. It is, how can they not be interested? <laughs> I realize I have a bias towards this because it's been an interest of mine since decades. But how can you, as a legitimate news source, not be interested in information that comes, about, comes out about the assassination of a president of the United States? How can you just look the other way? I mean, I think I know the answer, but it's, it's very troubling. Yeah. Okay, before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to bring up? about the JFK files or your book I, I didn't really get to yet? Um, no, I think we've done a good job in the time we have here. Um, I want to say thank you to you also for what you do uh, with your programming. And, you know, if it wasn't sources like you, none of this stuff would ever get out. <laughs> but oh, you good. Have, you know, uh, I just thought of something, though, I did want to ask you about. Tell me a little bit about the, the Dallas conferences. You went to Chris Gallup. Oh, yeah. And, and just mm-hmm. um, give me your impression, overview of, of 2022. Um, well, I enjoyed all of them. Uh, Chris Gallup's uh, conference is a, is a smaller one. It's very informal. Uh, it's very enjoyable. Um, the brisket was great, <laughs> the lunch that we had. Uh, Chris is a wonderful guy and a great researcher. Uh, Robert Groden spoke. Um, which is always a treat to listen to him. Uh, J. Gary Shaw talked about Roscoe White in detail, um, about him being a possible shooter and what his son found many years after the assassination. Uh, And Leslie Sharp was also at Chris's. 
uh, talking about um, coup in Dallas, and that's kind of what really piqued my interest to read that book again a little more slowly. And she and I emailed back and forth for a month to put that uh, column together. Uh, I thought was really good too, uh, and an opportunity to speak at that um, about a find I made um, by getting to know the daughter of an FBI agent who worked in the lab, who worked on Kennedy's clothing and the bullets from Tippett's body and all sorts of stuff. And um, there were several good presentations there as well. I, I think I mentioned that Max Good showed his um, documentary on Ruth Payne, which was really interesting. Whether you agree with it or not, I thought it was really interesting. Um, Josiah Thompson gave a great presentation with the help of Dr. Gary Aguilar um, about uh, the blood spatter and stuff when Kennedy was hit and, and where it landed on the police officers, you know, to Kennedy's left and uh, had some great slides uh, showing all that. Uh, I think Glenda did a great job with Kappa and and Chris did a great job with his JFK, the continuing inquiry. I was not able to get to the other conference, uh, but I've heard from others that were there that it was it was well done. The one done by uh, is it David Denton, the history JFK history group, I think it's called. Um, I saw their lineup and it looked like they had a lot of good speakers. I'm part of the Washita speaker series. The board member. It's a speaker series over in Hot Springs Village where our paper is. And six times a year we have a speaker in, and we've already uh, lined up uh, a panel for a one-nighter on the Kennedy assassination where I'll be speaking, and Dr. Michael Chesser is scheduled to speak, and uh, Dr. David Montague. The three of us will be presenting that night. So um, I think there'll be a lot of good conferences coming up in this coming November several months away, but um, let's hope that we can find something that's very relevant and important by then. You know, I don't know how, to what degree, all these thousands of documents people have gone through, but let's hope there's some gems in there, and um, let's hope we can figure some things out. I think another thing that we researchers can do is to try to find and I've done this on a couple of occasions, is to try to find family members of people who were really involved in the assassination, like Buddy Walters, Deputy Sheriff Buddy Walters, uh, finding a bullet in the grass there. There's that famous picture. And I had an opportunity to interview his daughter. And I've heard other instances where researchers have found family members and learned some very interesting things. So I think there's opportunity out there to, to learn more, um, boy, I'd sure like to see some some more documents released on Joe and Edie's and Bill Harvey and J.C. King, and but you know I don't know if that'll happen. You know the, they were supposed to start releasing all this stuff in the early and mid '90s, and it's 2023, and they're still withholding. So who's really in charge? Are legislators and president, or the intelligence and military? Yeah, yeah, and the the people who own America, right? Mm -hmm. That that you know Sullivan Cromwell and the Allen Dulles, the, they were lawyers for that law firm representing the the big money of America. And yeah. uh, when they say they want coups around the world, they say to Allen Dulles and his brother John Foster Dulles, "What can you do? We want this guy out." 
uh, you're, they're nationalizing everything in South America. Do something, right? So <laughs> yeah. then that gets into a whole investigation of, well, what did John F. Kennedy represent and, and who was he up against? And, and this is his enemies. You kind of think, wow, he was the last great president because he was really trying to do something for America and for the world. And then, yes, he was. You know, when he shot. Well, his advisor. Well, his advisors are planning a nuclear attack on Russia. Yeah. Pretty sad. Yeah, and you wonder about that today, right? I mean, that's yeah. What's going on today that we won't know about for fifty years? (laughs) Yeah. Or the fact that they're they seem to be cheerleading. Yeah, we're going to start a big war there in Europe and Ukraine and that and. uh, yeah, it won't be too long before we start setting off nuclear weapons, and uh, yeah. uh, the idea of a first well, strike and just wipe out the enemy, and then okay, <laughs> different topic. But yeah. th- th- I think that's one of the things that we look for. Uh, if we can understand what happened, then maybe we can stop it from happening in the future. Amen. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on again, and um, hope to visit with you somewhere down the road, Glenn. Yeah, very good. Thank you, and 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 thanks again then for the um, for the update about uh, the Dallas conferences that they're still going strong, and there's people yeah. like Chris Gallup and uh, and Kappa that are are still doing good work, and um, I think this year it's going to be Cyril Wecht as well. We'll have one in Pittsburgh. Yes, you're right. That's right. That's right. I have seen that advertised. Yeah, and I went into 2013 one that he had, and it was a big deal. It was four yeah. or five hundred people. At yeah. least, you know, kind of a who's who of, of people yeah. who are presenting here. Yeah. All right. Thank you of, so much for several, you. Several, several people out there doing a lot of good work. Yeah. And uh, hopefully none of us will give up. Right. And, and you're welcome, Lynn. Thanks for having me. All right. Good night, sir. Good night. Okay. You're listening to Black Op Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another segment of Black Op Radio. Tonight we're speaking to Jim DiEugenio from Los Angeles. Hello, Jim. Good evening, Len. How is the weather in L.A.? Pretty bad. It's What's, been raining. It's yeah. been raining, solid, pouring rain for about the last uh, nine days. Uh, when I was coming home from uh, my friend's house, she lives out in Diamond Bar, taking the 91, excuse me, taking the 60 in. On the way out, I saw a horrible accident. The whole front of the car got sheared off. People were stopping because it was a four-car pileup. Then on the way back that night, this was New Year's Eve, there was actually a car in flames on this side of the road. See, people in California, because they're so used to this sunshine thing, you know, when it starts raining, to them, that's like a snow snowstorm, okay? They don't know how to react. See, me coming back from back east, you know, this is nothing. But to them, it's really something foreign. So anyway, so those are, those are some of the weather problems we've been having out here. Well, it snowed out in Vancouver for a week, and I sent you a picture or two from my front yard. Yes, you did. Yeah, it's like a foot or two feet of snow. And, and then it warmed up, and the rain came, and it's all gone. Oh, but, really? Oh, yeah, it was gone within a week. But for three or four okay. days, it was like they call a winter wonderland. And I'm mm. sure in the East Coast, uh, I haven't been watching the weather too much, but been noticing people are talking about snowstorms and Yes. And, uh, big cold fronts coming in. Over 60% of the country. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got hit with a bomb. Well, okay. maybe it's good that you've got water for the soil. for. <laughs> yeah, and the it. reservoirs. And the yeah. reservoirs, so they can fill up a little. Uh, right? Yeah, well, okay, well, we'll see if that happens. 
Yes. Well, we 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 we'll we'll see. Uh, what would you, the... you do for New Year's Eve? Jeez, I didn't go out this year. You stayed home? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. You and the old lady watch television? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Len, it was only a few nights ago. Don't remember. I, I've, really? I've been really busy. i got a checklist of about 15 things in front of me that I've got to do and okay. uh, interviews. And we're, we've got a power pack January lined up. We're going to have David Mantic on. Uh, we just talked to Jeff Meek, Jefferson Morley coming up. Mm-hmm. Russell Kent. Right, right. So we've got a lot of guests and a lot of shows and a lot of things to cover. So, uh-huh. yeah, well, well you, you left out me. Well, you're on every <laughs> second week or so, so it's good that you're regular. And but you are leaving one person out, I think. Who I, I can't remember now, but you're you're leaving one person out. Oh yeah, there's a few people, right? And yeah, I'm going to meet Ray McGinnis for lunch next week. He has a, a book, an article, things come. So yeah, I, I'm quite busy, and I guess I've just been swamped with things. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually, me being in some kind of band, I'm usually playing on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I played since the 2019, so that's why I don't really remember. It's been kind of quiet, but we'll be playing in February and, and a few things. And who knows? I might be coming to L.A. to visit you. I might be going to Hawaii to visit John Armstrong. A few things are in the uh, in the uh, works. Well, Len, if I were you, I'd take Hawaii over L.A. <laughs> nothing flat. Okay. All right. Uh, well, okay, if you don't mind... Uh, me and Patricia went to the Doubletree Hotel out in Ontario, had a beautiful dinner, three-course dinner. I had seared salmon, and uh, I think she had chili and bass. And then we went to a party. There was a, a huge party at one of the hotel um, convention centers. Okay, so that's what I did for my – I'm really glad I did because I had terrible Christmas. I was at Denny's. I didn't even want to tell my followers on Twitter that that's that's how their idol spent <laughs> Christmas and Denny's, you know. Because now it's not that bad. I went there a day or two before Christmas with Susan, and we took a picture there. And I said it's going to be our Christmas card, okay? <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a good breakfast and uh, uh, whatever, right? You, you took a picture at Denny's? Yeah, I was sitting there because they had the signs and they, they had a few decorate. Okay, I'll send it to you. I'll send okay. it to you. It didn't end up being our Christmas card, but. Okay. All right. Okay, so in Los Angeles, what is new? Okay, there's, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about that I don't think um, your listeners are fully aware of. I think in March there will be two events that – people should keep their eyes and ears peeled for. I think in March, Angela Berry is going to appear before the parole board again. Sirhan has another hearing coming up. And as everyone and their mother knows, at the last hearing, they approved his parole request. And we all also know that that gutless coward Gavin Newsom, this is like only one of the three states in the union where you can do this. The governor vetoed that parole board decision. So there's another one coming up in March. And Angela Berry, as you know, because I think you were on that phone call, weren't you, with her? Right, yeah. We yeah. we listened to, um, there was quite a few researchers and reporters. and Yeah, she had about 10, 10 reporters there. Oh, I think more okay. than that, but regardless. All right, and so uh, what happened was, 
she plans to go to court if Newsom does this again, okay, because she was very upset with the legal procedure that Newsom used. She thought that he was completely wrong on the law. So this one should be some fireworks, I think, if, if he decides to go ahead and overturn the decision again. Angela Berry, is, this is what she does. She's a parole board specialist. And this is why I think Sirhan's brother hired her because of this, all right, because she's very experienced with this kind of legal procedure. So this should be very interesting. That's one thing that I think we should be looking out for. Secondly, I believe in March will be the first appearance by the Mary Farrell Foundation in court in Northern California. And I think that will be Bill Simpich. And and I, I think it's going to be him over Larry Schnapp because Larry Schnapp lives in New York. I think Bill unless Larry decides to fly out to California, he will be making the appearance for the uh, Mary Farrell Foundation to try and force Biden. And, and by the way, let, let me, I have to calm down before I say this. You're going to have Jeff Marley on in a week or two, right? All right? Yeah. This is, this is really an utter and complete disgrace. What, what the, Archives has done what Biden has done and how the media has fallen in line for this stupid, witless Farrago. Because, look, I don't have to tell your listeners this, but I'm just going to put it in a nutshell. This should all have been taken care of in the fall of 2017. All right. There was no legal, no legal and no ethical reason to stop every last document from being released to the public. So what happened? Trump and the Department of Justice, a guy named Curtis Gannon, made up an excuse, all right? They made up an excuse. And there's, there's no other way to say this. They made up an excuse, all right? They changed the law. And I realized it right off, and I'm not a lawyer, but I realized that, you know, these guys are breaking the law. And there's two ways you break the law. You break the spirit of the law, you break the letter of the law. They broke both of them. And it's very simple. I mean, you had Mark Adamchick. Mark knows. You should have him and Andrew Eiler on. I'm really serious about that. Those two guys really know. They did some of the great work on the JFK Act. But what happened was they, with Trump's apparent acquiescence, they broke the law in, this, in the sense that it's written into the JFK Act that any time you withhold a document past 2017, the president had to write a summary, an unclassified summary of why he was doing so. In other words, he had to explain specifically this. If I let go of this document, I will endanger the life of such and such an agent or I will endanger an op ongoing operation. Now, the obvious question that anybody would have to ask is. 55 years, at that time it was 55 years, or 54, okay? 54 years, how on God's name can you have an agent in place that long? I mean, if he was 30 years old at the time of the assassination, that means he would have been 74 years. What CIA agent doesn't retire by the time they're 74, okay? You know, what ongoing operation could possibly be going on again at, at the, with, with the 
the collapse of the Cold War. And then let me give you an example. There's a letter that Arthur Schlesinger wrote to Kennedy. In that letter, he's outlining some of the things that JFK wants changed about the way the CIA. This is after the Bay of Pigs. And as you know, the, JFK really wanted to overhaul the CIA. He actually wanted to even change its name. That's about a 12-page letter, and there's a page and a half of it that's redacted to this day. To this day. Are you going to tell me Arthur Schlesinger named an agent in place? He wasn't even in the CIA. Are you going to tell me he endangered an operation? Again, he wasn't in the CIA, so how could he do that? There's um, a very long interview with a guy named Jim O'Connell that he, he was a former CIA officer, and he did a long interview with the church committee, and he was instrumental in setting up the CIA mafia plots to kill Kennedy because O'Connell knew Bob Mayhew, all right? That interview, there's about seven pages of that interview that are still redacted. Now, can I ask a question? What is there to hide about the CIA mafia plots in the new century? Huh? Uh, Bob Mayhew is dead, all right? I would be willing to wager that O'Connell's dead also. So why are they still redacting? The, see, the thing is, if the law would not have been broken, then Trump or Biden would have had to explain exactly why. And this is what they don't want to do. They don't want to because they can't, all right? And so this is what really outrages me about the media, because this is the real story, that with their acquiescence, all right, the CIA and the FBI, and by the way, the overwhelming majority of the declassified documents, which are not really totally declassified, were from the CIA. Second place, I think, was the FBI. All right, third place, I think, was the Secret Service. So this is something that I, I really believe is an outrage, and this is why we need this lawsuit in Northern California. Because the media will not do its job. Because that's the real story. The real story is that it should have all been over five years ago. But it's not. And so it's up to people like you. It's up to people like me. It's up to people like Mark Adamchick. Okay? It's up to people like Larry who are still trying to press this issue. That we the people deserve the whole story about what happened to President Kennedy. You know, and I think 59 years is a little bit too long to wait. So anyway, that's another story that I think everybody should be looking out for. Well, I've noticed a lot of news, you know, websites and, and even Fox News were saying the CIA killed Kennedy. Oh, if, that that's you know, something. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because they're, they're saying that no one would would cover this up for 60 years for the reasons mm -hmm. you just laid out unless they had something to hide. And what could they hide in an assassination? See, they're Tucker involved. Carlson, Tucker Carlson's show really made some waves, some big waves. And you saw what Bobby Kennedy Jr. said, didn't you? No, I didn't. I missed that. Oh, oh. Bobby Kennedy Jr. said the day after Tucker Carlson said the CIA killed President Kennedy that Tucker Carlson's program yesterday was the most courageous piece of journalism I have seen in the last 60 years. The CIA committed a coup d'etat against my uncle in 1963, and America has not been the same since. <laughs> was, that a, was that a good one or what? And then pile on with 
Elon Musk revealing just how much the FBI has taken over Twitter to the right. point where they paid people to block anything anti-Biden, block the the Hunter Biden laptop story. They they overwhelmed Twitter so much they complained. They said, we have a whole wing of people working here. We can't do it anymore. And they went, okay, how much do you need? 3.4 million was how much they had to pay. And they kept all these people on, on Twitter, on staff, working for the FBI to censor your no. tweets and you, your you, information. You've got, you got Twitter with the FBI. you got Jeff Bezos with the CIA. Isn't Facebook mixed up with these guys too? Oh yeah, but that will come out. Even Google, I mean, mm -hmm. it's just. And of course, I've, you know, I already butted my head up against the wall with Wikipedia, and that, and mm -hmm. I just kind of, uh, you know, resigned myself to. It. And that's why I started Protopedia. I actually have mm -hmm. a, a, a a copy of the code, so I have. You can get that. You know, you can make your own wiki page. Well, I made it, and I call it Protopedia. Good. And you can find just that i mean not waving the flag it's just here are the facts here's what the stuff is about fletcher and other stuff is disinformation or um you know very selective uh somebody would have to read all of fletcher's articles and books and all that to get the scope of that and then they find one little thing that they don't agree with i mean if somebody doesn't agree with it it's, i mean it's just like that with jim garrison too you know like mm -hmm. uh people are okay okay he's no saint he's whatever but the, 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 I never say this right, Herculean uh, effort that he made, but uh, I mean, it's just people like that, like the Mae Brussels, the Fletcher Prouty, the Jim Garrisons. Jim Garrison, I mean, really, if you take a look at what that guy did, all right, I mean, um, to expose as much as he did about the CIA and the what they were doing in New Orleans in the summer of 1963 with uh, Oswald is just, you know, an amazing piece of detective work. And, and the thing is, this is one of the things that we managed to get because it was from a private donor. Okay. If you understand what I'm saying is that Jim Garrison's family had what was left of his archive and they donated that directly to the review board. So that's why we had books like Bill Davies, wonderful book, uh, let justice be done, you know, which that was the first one. I think that he wrote that one in the nineties. And then after a lawsuit, we got what was left in Harry Connick's office. If you remember that Harry Connick did not want to give up that Ford, uh, drawer file. Okay. And you know, and I just got two requests last week for the garrison files so oh, that's people, terrific yeah they were going through the archives and they saw mm. the show where i i offer i said listen it's it's quite big it's two gigs you know it's mm -hmm. 1.95 but anyway well, I, well wait a minute maybe we should talk about this a little just a little bit at least sure you know paul blow yeah did a great job with those files he wrote about four articles exposing the fpcc which was a major operation by both the CIA and the FBI in the summer of 19, in which Oswald, of course, had all the earmarks of being involved in that, right? And uh, I think also what Paul told me tonight, I talked to him tonight, he said William Harvey's secretary was involved in setting up an FPCC chapter in Miami.
if you can believe that. Okay, but evidently it's true. All right, and so what happened is that um, that was what Garrison did there was the beginning of the exposure of of all of these secret operations. And then we know today, I mean, how important were these things? Well, you had people like David Phillips. You had people like James McCord. You had people like Deke DeLoach. You had people like Sergio Rakacha-Smith involved in this whole anti-FPCC campaign. All right, and and there's no doubt, of course, well, there, let me put it this way. There's very little doubt that Joannides was involved in this because his man, Carlos Bringier, is a guy who really got into into it with Lee Harvey Oswald, okay? And so this, this is the kind of stuff that Garrison, you know, was on the verge of uncovering there in the summer of 1963, you know? And it's it's only because of those files, your files, um, which you did you get those from John Barber? No, I got them from somebody else, but it was okay. probably the same person that gave them to John Barber because I got I just forget. I mean, it was an anonymous email and said, Len, I got these files. I want to give them just to a few people to make sure they don't disappear. So, you know, I got the impression that. It was five or six people that he sent them to, and I was one of them because he just, you know, knew the years of Black Op Radio doing. Well, well, uh, Paul yeah. tried to index them. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Okay. I, and he turned that over to somebody else. Okay. And they're indexing it. And I really wish you would have Paul on with that guy. Okay. Who, when he gets done indexing them, because that's, that's going to be, you know, as good as they are now, once they're indexed, you can actually go through them and find what you're looking for. So that will be a tremendous, I mean, who does that besides you, Len? You know, I mean, there's no other show that even comes close to doing that kind of stuff, really advancing, pushing the, uh, you know, pushing the envelope beyond the boundaries where it's at now. So that's just terrific what Paul's done with those things, you know, and so. so and then the should, number of people that do write in, saying they have an interest in them because mm -hmm. um, I haven't even gone through them all. And mm -hmm. and like you you were mentioning, Paul's gone through more than anyone I know. And yes. I'll open one folder and it will be like 95 pages long. And some right. of the stuff is typed or handwritten or both from mm -hmm. Jim Garrison. In, right. You know, so um, it's quite a thing. And, you know, I get through, you know, one or two articles, and then I put it down and go back to something else. And so I haven't dedicated time just to going from from top to bottom. And, um, geez, I'm still going through David Bantick's big book, his good book. Yeah, that's, know? yeah, yeah. But but wrapping up the thing about, about Garrison, okay, Paul spent five months. Let me say that again. He spent five months going through those files to assemble that extraordinary series he had on exposing the fair play for Cuba committee. Okay. And the stuff that guy found out in Garrison's files was just amazing. You know, just to give you a couple of examples that I remember. Uh, and I, I recommend everybody read that if you haven't read it yet. All right. That, that Stucky, who was the host of the debate between Bringier, Butler and Oswald 
He had written the FBI in 1962, not 63, in 1962, asking them if there was an FPCC member in New Orleans. Now, if that's not surprising enough, he also found that Oswald had written the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in 1962 from Dallas. Okay? I mean, this shows you, this shows you how long this staged event was in the incubator, okay, Uh, ready to go ahead and snap Oswald's head off. Because as we all know, as everybody, anybody with half a brain knows who studies this case, if you go back and look at the network news, and remember back then it was only ABC, CBS, and NBC. PBS was almost nothing at that time. Okay, but that's what you had. If you look at those nightly news shows, you will see, what will you see? You will see films and pictures of Oswald leafleting in the streets of New Orleans in the summer of 1963. And that's what's used to incriminate him as something he is not. Oswald was not a communist, okay? But that's what was used. That's how clever these people are, okay? And that's what was used to incriminate Oswald in the public mind as a communist, and this is why he assassinated Kennedy, when in fact, even if he had been a communist, the dumbest thing he could have been if he was a communist is killed Kennedy. You know, as Kennedy was working for a detente and rapprochement with both Cuba and the Soviet Union. But that's how absurd this story got because of that stuff. Okay, and, and like, I, like I said, it's, uh, Bill Davies' book is a nice, concise version of those documents. And more came out later. And then you had Joan Mellon's book, and then you had my book. But uh, Bill's book is a very good place to start, okay, to the excavation of these garrison files. And then, of course, the HSCA also had some of these also. Okay, but your collection is is just a wonderful, wonderful way uh, to get into the raw data, okay, as we say, you know, instead of somebody else's version of what happened. So this is one of the things the ARB did for the main reason is that it was outside the scope of any kind of control because it was given by a private donor. Now, another thing that is, I believe, and I think Mark Adamchik would probably like to talk to you about, it should be outside the scope of the president to stop any further release of congressional files. That is, nothing the HSCA had, or the Church Committee had, or the Rockefeller Commission had, nothing that they had should now be delayed from getting into the hands of the public. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff that's in those files. The Church Committee did a lot of very good work. If you remember, Schweiker was really out there. If you remember, I think we put this in our film. Didn't he say something like, the Warren Commission was designed to feed pablum to the American public, and a cover-up was enacted. One of the biggest cover-ups in the history of the United States was enacted for reasons unknown. I mean, is that kind of radical or what? 
<laughs> this is a U.S. senator saying that. Gary Hart, I think, said the HSCA never got to the bottom of who and why Rosselli and Giancana were killed. How could they possibly solve the Kennedy assassination if they didn't do that? You know, and if you remember, that was right. Those two assassinations were were done right at the time the church committee and the House Select Committee were being conducted. So this is the kind of thing that the church committee was doing. So I believe, and if you have Mark on, he can talk about this more intelligently than I can. There's no legal right for Biden to hold those up. There was never any right for Trump to hold those up because it's a different branch of government. So this is another thing that gets me quite angry. All right. This is another part of the story that's not being told by these idiots in the media. Okay, so those are the things that I wanted to talk about. There's a few questions. Do you want to go a little bit longer? Sure, we can take a few questions. Okay. First week of the year. Okay, December 15th, Derek Shane. And uh, let's see what Derek has to say here. I believe Wesley Frazier was forced to tell the cops that Oswald had placed curtain rods in the car when they drove to the book depository that day. The cops apparently forced his sister back up the curtain rod story, but yet Frazier's mom said she saw Oswald walking up to the house that day, and he had, and that's true, by the way. His mother didn't see any uh, package in Oswald's hands. They arrested Frazier, threatened him over and over. This is all true. Uh, plus, he owned a British Enfield 303 caliber rifle, which was the same type of rifle found atop the roof of the TSBD, TSBD building. And he says he's heard the audio of that's where that rifle was found. I knew that that was the first rifle reported. I wasn't aware it was found at the top of the book depository. They threatened Frazier. Yeah, we, yes, they did. And, and Or even execution. I didn't know that. All right. Frazier's story had told the story of Fritz demanding he sign a convention a confession as Fritz clenched his fist like he was going to punch him. Apparently, Frazier was given preferential treatment after he joined the military. Well, I agree that most of this stuff is accurate. All right. It's, you know, it's, it's true. And I've always had a problem. I mean, I'm like one of the very few authors uh, who's really explored the whole Frazier thing. I did it in my, my book, The JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today. And I punched some holes in Lenny Mae Randall's story also. Uh, The FBI certainly helped her along because I don't think she could have seen Oswald from the angle where she originally said she saw him from. All right. And I don't believe that Oswald carried a bag that big to work that day. She said it was almost, you know, was almost scraping the ground. All right. And then he put it in the back of Frazier's car. All right. The one door. (laughs) <laughs> this is almost funny. The one door that Frazier left supposedly left open that night. And then you get the problem of uh, could she really see through those slats? Okay, because they had a carport. So how could she see through those slats, you know, where Oswald was, what he was carrying and, and opening the door? All right. And then there's a testimony of Jack Dougherty. And, and Jack Dougherty, I've always said, is a very interesting witness. Mr. Ball, 
did you tell them you started work on 11-22-63 at 7 a.m.? Yes. The statement says, I recall vaguely having seen Lee Oswald when he came to work at about 8 a.m. today. That's right. Now, is that a very definite impression that you saw him that morning when he came to work? Well, oh, it's like this. I'll try to explain to you this way. You see, I was sitting on the wrapping table, and then when he came in the door, I just caught him out of the corner of my eye. That's the reason I said it that way. Did he come in with anybody? No. He was alone. Yes, he was alone. Do you recall him having anything in his hand? Well, I didn't see anything. If he did, did you pay enough attention to him, you think, that you would have noticed whether he did or whether he didn't? I believe, yes, sir, I'll put it this way. I didn't see anything in his hands at the time. In other words, your memory is definite on that, isn't it? Yes, sir. In other words, you would say positively he had nothing in his hands. I would say that, sir, yes. Or are you guessing? I don't think so. See the way they were trying to talk him out of his story? You know, that's, that's what they did to all these negative witnesses. Yeah, the, I, I agree with this, Derek. I would go even further if you take a look at what I wrote about it in my book. All right. Very, it's one of those things that never got solved in any kind of really satisfactory way. You know, there's one funny thing. I was going through some uh, documents the other day, and I forget who it was, and I don't, I'm don't. i not sure it was Bellin grilling somebody, but he's asking a witness something, and... Um, it reminds me of the Marina Oswald thing. Uh, he says, were you here? Were you there? And the guy keeps looking down and he goes, oh, I see you're referring to notes in that you have. And, and he said, yeah, I forgot what I was supposed to say. You know, or he said, in, in, in case I forgot. It was like that. And you think, oh, my God, not only are they briefed, but there's like, here's notes. You know, we want you to say you were at Fifth and Patton and wherever, you know, at this time. And, um, well, whatever. Okay. Dean Walker, December 15th, think what you want about Tucker Carlson. He called out Jocelyn West as a CIA contract agent this evening. At least somebody is getting to the truth in the media. Yes, he did very quickly. Jolly West was a a very skilled psychologist who did a lot of MKUltra experiments for the Central Intelligence Agency. How on earth the Dallas police let this guy in to treat Jack Ruby is one of the great mysteries of this case. But they did. And then he went ahead, of course, and said that Ruby was mentally imbalanced. Well, I wonder why. And Ruby did get more and more erratic as time went on. Okay. And it's probably from what happened with Jolly West. That, that's really one of the most bizarre things about this case. All right, Eddie, December the 20th. Hello again, Jim and Lynn. Thank you for answering my letter of last week regarding the stunning split in opinions of JFK on Fox versus MS, MSNBC. It was an honor to hear your discussion. The best proof we have is the reaction across social media to Tucker Carlson and his call out of the CIA as the perps in Dallas on the pseudo hipster left. And I live in Brooklyn, Brooklyn. So I know where I speak. Carlson is a racist immigrant hating Trump lover. And Kennedy was a warmonger on the red side. And when the heck was the beautiful revolutionary color of red stolen by the right must have been under Reagan. 
Carlson is a hero, and so was Jack Kennedy. Since most current U.S. politics seems to be nothing more than rampant narcissism, I think JFK is loathed by the Blue Demo establishment for the same reason a beautiful woman is sometimes loathed by a plain woman. Kennedy was the real deal, a war hero times two, once against the Japanese and second versus the national security state. He rejected violence and confrontation at every turn, and this when he had all the force in the world on his side. He stood up against practically everybody, as if he and his brother were the Irish Catholic rebels striking back at every WASP institution they could attack. Under different circumstances, both brothers would have been <laughs> IRA revolutionaries. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that, but that's a very nice comparison. Compare all this to the god of the blue pseudo-left, Barack Obama, the perfect president for spies, assassins, and investment bankers. Has this hero ever taken a single step, twitched so much as a muscle, without ensuring himself well ahead of time it would approval with the powers that be? His fans seem to think that everything good in the United States history started on the night Obama, Wall Street pimp and drone mass murderer, was elected. So the hatred of Kennedy seems on par with the general insanity on the part of the Western liberal elite, which leads the people gluing their faces to the Van Gogh paintings, censoring Huckleberry Finn, and banning Fantasia because it was great Russian music. Basically, a psychotic recency bias. And, of course, though Obama talked to talk and conned the Kennedy family with what in retrospect was a sickening American University get-together, of Obama with Ted and Caroline, JFK was a true warrior for peace. He died for it. And so how can they hold up moral midgets such as Obama, Biden, and the Clintons without shrinking all that came before? I agree just about everything about that. Um, and by the way, if you remember when Obama left office, he did that front page story, I believe, on the cover of The Atlantic, where he was propping himself off as the guy who stood up to the people who wanted to intervene in Syria. Okay. Now, what he didn't tell anybody is that although he did not send combat troops into, his, into Syria, he did okay one of the biggest CIA operations in recent history. 1.6 billion. Operation Timber Sycamore. And that thing was so bad that Putin had to intervene because he was really worried that these Al-Qaeda guys, and that's basically who we were hiring there, okay, that these guys were going to go and overthrow Assad, which would have mean, of course, that the Islamic fundamentalism would have been pretty close to the Russian border, all right? And Putin, I believe, did the only right thing he could have done at that time. All right. And see, and, and this is something that you have to really understand. Assad was the kind of Middle East leader that Kennedy was for. See, Kennedy understood way back then. And I believe this goes back to his Algeria speech in 1957. OK, that we had to side with the secularists with the progressives, and there were some in the Middle East, like Nasser, all right? 
And we had to use them to turn the Middle East around from the Saudis, the Islamicists, the fundamentalists. All right. And so that's why Kennedy would have never even contemplated going to war against Assad. I believe that was really a Hillary Clinton idea because she snookered um, she snookered Obama on Libya, which was a terrible, terrible mistake. Okay. Uh, her and Rice were the two witches. There was a third one, too, a redheaded woman. I can't remember her name. But they, they were like the three witches, and they essentially, you know, talked him into going into Libya and getting rid of Gaddafi, which turned out to be a first rate disaster. All right. And then they went ahead and they did this CIA operation against against Assad, you know, and Putin did the only thing he could have done to stop that from getting onto his border. All right. Uh, oh, let's see. Here's a Eddie has an addendum here. Totally off topic, but we'd love to hear your opinions on the just released 2022 Sight and Sound Best Movies of All Time poll. As you probably know, the poll is conducted every 10 years with the year ending in two. Beginning in 52, every poll from 52 to 2002 had Citizen Kane as number one. But in 2012, Vertigo grabbed the prize. Now, Jeannie Dillman is without doubt a great film. I never even heard of that movie. And Chantel Eckerman, have you? No, no, I haven't. Chantel Eckerman is a great filmmaker. However, since it's almost four hours long, and basically as follows an average 1970s Parisian housewife, it has been seen by very few people and has had no influence on anybody. All right, in 2012, Dealman was ranked 36 and was the only female-directed movie in the top 50. Well, the, t- the 2022 poll has 14 female-directed movies in the top 50, none of them which were made since the last poll. Whatever you want to call it, identity politics, wokeism, late capitalism is in its death throes here in the West. Seems to be infecting and eating everything that's come before. Keep up the great work. To be perfectly frank, I haven't followed the sight and sound poll. I just could not justify vertigo over Citizen Kane. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of ridiculous you know, that they did that, all right? Uh, I have a lot of respect for Alfred Hitchcock as a film director. He is very skillful, very imaginative. But to put something, a murder mystery like Vertigo, up against a film with the greatness of Citizen Kane in every single way, and it gets to the real bottom of what the heck is wrong with America, you know, a guy, you know, who spends tens of millions of dollars gratifying the whole obsession that he was turned away from his mother. And then at the end of the movie, we understand that. I don't have to tell you about this, Dwayne Lynn. The, the great final shot of the sled burning in the incinerator, Rosebud. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that to me, whenever I see that scene, by the way, I get chills because it's so beautifully directed and the music, okay, and it wraps everything up 
and then you see the the smoke billowing out of the top of the uh, of the of the great estate. Okay, the guy who had everything but really had nothing. You know, so ever since Vertigo took, I, I don't I don't pay attention to those anymore. All right, uh, December twenty seventh, Matt Grantham, Len. I was hoping I could ask a quick question that likely is not show worthy. I'm still spending some time at the forums and the question of JFK's forward head movement around 313. I remember a JFK researchers conference at Seamspan 11 years ago where Tink Thompson was enthusiastic about someone who would analyze the movements of all the occupants in the car. And there was a forward movement for several at this time. Okay, that turned out to be not accurate. Okay, Matt. I think the best way to... Um, explain that slight drift that Kennedy has at 312 is that he had already been hit and his body went limp. Okay. And so he slightly drifted forward. Okay. Um, because the car was breaking. All right. And then that's when he gets hit with the front shot from 313. I, I believe that's the way. See, Tink tried to explain that the first time as a double hit, if you recall. You recall this, don't you, Len? In his in six seconds in Dallas. Right, but for people who may not have just go through that. Well, see, if you go ahead and you slow down the film, everybody of course is familiar with Z three thirteen because it's so dramatic. Kennedy rockets backwards in his seat. He bounces off the back of the seat. All right, his, his wife recoils in horror. And what Tink isolated, because he, did all, he had the access to the film, he noticed a slight drift forward at 312. And I think Ray Marcus also did this, 311 and 312. All right. So Tink's first solution to that problem uh, of the two movements was that he thought that there was a double hit. And this became a famous doctrine in the early days, that there was a double hit at within two frames of each other you know and that's kind of hard to i mean even if you had professional snipers which you did in this case you know it's very hard to synchronize something like that that close in time even if you have walkie talkies which i believe they did have all right so what i think has happened and this is mr chambers in his book headshot um I believe that the best explanation of that is what I just said. I've come to believe that. All right. That that's, that's the way to explain that seeming paradox. Now, let me see something else. Chambers in his book, Headshot, he does not believe that the front shot was from a 6.5 Manicurkano rifle. Because he doesn't think that would have the torque to blast Kennedy backwards. And I think Don Thomas also agrees with that. They both agree that the front shot probably came from a Winchester rifle of a 30 odd six or a 30 30. Okay. I think it's a 30 30 that Thomas thinks. And I think a 2020 is what, um, is what, um, Chambers thinks. All right. Okay. Now people are going to say, well, how come there was that kind? Of, well, that's because uh, they have things. You know what a sabot is, don't you? 
Yeah, when, it, yeah. It, they call it a dum dum bullet as well, maybe. No, no, a, a sabot is something that you can encase a bullet in, and then you're right, then it explodes. And so that might be how they did it. All right, we're never going to know for sure, of course. Okay, but they think it was a higher caliber bullet that was used. And obviously, and to anybody who doesn't see this, obviously there was different types of ammunition because the first shot, you know, if you believe that he was hit in the neck first and then the back, those shots didn't have anywhere the impact that the last shot did. And by the, by, by the way, that might not be the last shot. The new thinking, of course, is there was a shot after 313. Okay, so there were probably like five or six shots. Right, there was a bullet yeah. uh, found on the floorboards. There right. was something hit. Now, the- now, what's so incredible about that, Lynn, and I'm sure you know this, the two pieces of the bullet found in the front floorboard is the head and the tail of an MC bullet. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Because if you believe that a head and a tail of the bullet were found separated from each other, but landed next to each other in the front floorboard, that means that the middle of the bullet, where did it go? As Dave, as you're going to have Dave Mantic on in a few weeks. All right. Well, there's something in the back part of Kennedy's skull, which Mantic thinks might be the middle of that bullet, all right? And if it's not the middle of the bullet, but just just imagine this, the idiocy of this for a minute, that the Warren Commission never touched. We're supposed to believe that a bullet comes in the posterior skull of Kennedy. It breaks through the skin. Then it splits into three parts, the front part, the back part, and the middle part, and somehow, some way, the rear part, the base of the bullet, levitates itself or lowers itself to get around the back of this middle, and it flies through Kennedy's skull, goes out the front of his right ear, and lands in the floorboard of the front of the car. I See, I call that the second magic bullet. I wanted to put that in the film. Oliver didn't like it. He thought it was too technical. All right. I had all these great graphics and, you know, it would have knocked people for a loop, I think. All right. But anyway, so that's what we're supposed to believe in this case. You know, uh, well, this I mean, is a- even if you believe in the first one, which some uh, flat earthers do, but Commission <laughs> Exhibit 399. I mean, right. uh, come on. Right. So yes. it's over. You know, it's just... If you believe that, you'll believe anything. Right, right. Okay, uh, Mike LaFlem, if you you had him on your show a couple of times, he's written a book on Atlantis, the, the Lost Continent, and I heard it's pretty good, okay? But anyway, he wrote me a note saying about the Bizonko debate. By the way, now that I have more time to go back through the Kennedys and King stuff, once my book has been done, I have to say that the live debate you did with Word Deleted, Robert Bizonko, was something else, man. It is incredible, just on an intuitive level, how angry that man got as you were systematically dismantling his world. Also, how many times did he say, 
look at my book, Masters of War, as if A, anyone gives a crap <laughs> or anybody who gives a crap about it or has read it, and B, the entire secondary and primary source literature does not exist. Okay? All right. Keep keep on going, Jim. The angrier they get, the closer you are to the truth. You can post this as a letter to Black Op Radio, censored, of course. So I, which which I did. Okay. So, <laughs> by the way, that's really a lot. Like the reaction I get from most people who have listened to that debate. Okay, that he kept on saying, "Look in my book, Masters of War." All right. Uh, I hate to tell you, but the declassified documents are from the ARB. They're not in your book. Okay. I mean, the de- as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure, Len, you feel this way too. This whole phony debate about Vietnam is over. It was over, I believe, back in the 90s myself. Okay. People like Fletcher Powdy back in the 80s, um, I believe it was 1986, he wrote a brilliant article about what Kennedy was really doing. And then he helped Oliver. And then John Newman came on and and he published his book, okay, JFK in Vietnam, and then he revised it. And there's been several books since, you know, like um, the guy you had on. um, Well, you know, you you don't need several books. Once you have the the paperwork from Fletcher Prouty. Yeah, see, once once you have the basic package, which is not that big, by the way. It's not that big. You know, when, when you have the SECDEF meeting, all right, from the summer of 1963, okay, when you have the things that Krulak and, and Prouty were doing for, for JFK and RFK, all right, uh, when you know about that whole uh, thing about the, uh, what was that, the uh, Taylor... McNamara, when you know that that report was pre-written, <laughs> okay, okay, you know, that uh, that it was it was essentially uh, delivered to the people who were supposed to be writing it, all right? When you know all this stuff, then, you know, I really don't, you know, this whole phony argument that was begun with the MSM, because George Lardner could not handle it, okay, if you remember, he tried to go after that theme that Kennedy was getting out of Vietnam and his attack on well, Oliver. You know, I think even Robert McNamara kind of reluctantly admitted that, that said, right. In no. 1995, he admitted that Kennedy was getting now, now how much evidence you need. You've got McNamara saying that you've got Bundy saying that you have Maxwell Taylor saying that. Okay. Now somehow we're supposed to believe that Alexander Coburn, Coburn, Bob Bizonko, and Noam Chomsky knew more than Bundy, McNamara, and Taylor about what Kennedy was doing. They were in the room. Yeah, but the thing is, if you, yeah, they were in the room, but if you listen to the audio or read the book that Dave Radcliffe did, Understanding Special Operations, Fletcher Prouty details about how they worked on this. I mean, he mm-hmm. he worked on it with Krulak. Mm-hmm. And they said they had secretaries going around the clock. They wanted this thing printed, bound, and sent on a jet out there. So when they would return back, they would come mm-hmm. and present it to Kennedy. Here's our report. We're pulling out of Vietnam. Right. And I also believe Howard Jones says the same thing. 
okay, that the report was pre-written, okay, uh, because Kennedy wanted to be sure to get the result that he wanted. And if you recall, I think this is... Well, Fletcher made the point when, when they, it shows the helicopter landing on the White House uh, lawn and these guys getting out and it showed McNamara uh, presenting Kennedy with their findings. They go, did anybody stop to think, right? You know, like, just That's think. Pretty funny. That's pretty funny. How, how could have that happened? How could that happen? Yeah. And uh, there's a picture of them um, sitting down at a table and there it is, the big thing, leather bound, you know? Mm-hmm. Like what? What did they do that on the on the plane ride back from, mm-hmm. you know, from Hawaii? No, no, yeah. they they had time to read it, and it's I mean, just the same day. Sorry, the analogy is today when you guys get these bills and they're like a thousand pages or fourteen hundred in Congress, and they're supposed to vote on them in the middle of the night, and and they, there's no one could read all that. They mm-hmm. just said, here, here you go. This is what's going to happen. See, this was, I believe, a phony debate. I really believe, and and I, I don't want to participate in it anymore. I only did it with Bazanko because he challenged anybody, you know, from JFK Revisited uh, to debate him about what Kennedy was really doing. And so I decided, okay, fine, I'll do this. You know, I didn't like doing it because I think it's a ridiculous argument. I don't really think the other side like has ar- it. arguing with a flat earther. Yeah, it's it's really arguing something that's been settled, you know, and it's been settled for a very long time, you know, and for for these people to bring it up for a political agenda is is really despicable. Okay, I mean, and that's what it's for. It's it's brought up for, you know, Chomsky has to do his thing, you know, Mr. Leftist. Okay, and uh, Coburn had to do his thing. You know, and, you know, Peter Dale Scott is an honest guy. I mean, uh, I think I did I say this on your show that Peter told Aaron, Aaron Good, that when he read the Pentagon Papers back in 71, that's when he decided that he wanted to write something about JFK in Vietnam. And he went to Zinn because Zinn was one of the editors and Chomsky was the other editor. And he said, I think there's something here. Okay, about Kennedy and Vietnam that might be different. And Zinn didn't want him to write anything. Neither did Chomsky. And you know what Zinn said? This was the reason that they didn't want Peter to write his essay in the Pentagon Papers. They said, it'll look like the president can make a difference. When I, when I heard that, I was about ready to throw up. Okay, I mean... What did FDR do? Franklin Roosevelt didn't make a difference. Are you really serious? Okay. You know, and, you know, it's what did Lincoln do? Lincoln didn't make a difference. See, to me, when I hear something like that, you know, that's that's not writing history. That's writing ideology. And that's exactly what a historian should not do. All right. And so. You know, Chomsky finally relented, and on free speech grounds, he let Peter write that essay, you know. Uh, but but that's the kind of thing that we're up against, you know. You know, these doctrinaire leftists, you know, who think that somehow history is something they can mess around with, 
They don't have to tell the whole story. And I, that's completely against what I think as a historian, you know. So anyway, okay, Len. So those were the letters for tonight. Okay. Okay, good. Happy New Year, and we'll be having quite a few good shows coming on January, February. Oh, yes, yes. I, I think there's no doubt about that, Len. You're going to have a lot of uh, interesting stuff. And you had Monica last week, right? Yeah. Good. That was good. And I did yeah. something. Uh, I didn't post it on YouTube. I put it just on Rumble, the, the video. I've got the oh. audio. right? Yeah, I just thought, you know what? I'm just getting tired of YouTube and, you know, the shadow you're, ban. You're not the only one. <laughs> well, we'll see yeah, what happens. You you're know? not the only one. A lot of people are going to Rumble. Yeah. You know? I put um, stuff up under Black Op Radio, and I get so many thousand views, mm -hmm. uh, you know, videos. And then I put one up under just Osanic, my name, uh, a Fletcher Proudy one. In in about a week, it got over 100,000 views. Terrific. Yeah, I was getting like 10,000 views a day on it. And it was just... Um, and I don't know what it is right now, but I just like, wow, you know, that's I, that's what I thought things should have been, right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as soon as they something's going viral, they don't want, they clamp it down. It's not in anybody's list anymore. They don't show you. I mean, the stuff is gold that uh, Elon Musk is allowing people to reveal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it's kind of like, oh, we knew it all along, but these guys are reading out the the documents right you know people from the fbi in charge of the whole thing of you know just think of the irony and, and the, the poverty of of biden saying that he wanted to have some kind of department of you know uh truth or whatever you know and uh, you know for disinformation when they are the bigger the biggest purveyors of that right well they they, they look very bad with this thing with twitter yeah, we'll just you wait know. till they get they get YouTube files or oh yeah, that or, should be interesting or um, Facebook too. You know, just anywhere where people are getting banned for thirty days and that's not, you, you know, know that's why a lot of people, you know, like Warren, you know, and um, other people like Rand Paul, yeah, have asked. You know, maybe it's time to break up big tech. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think and I think I what's just, her name, uh, Whitney Webb. She believes that also, I think. Yeah. Oh, she I listened to a few that, interviews of her. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, she believes that these people in Silicon Valley, you know, have, you know, teamed together to become the new oligarchy, you know, in the United States. And I think there's some truth to that. Okay. Well, you know. it's way beyond that. I mean, yeah. when the FBI admits they're paying... 3.4 million to a wing of people just to do their bidding say we don't like what this guy said cover that up right the whole the whole Russiagate the whole um, steel dossier the p-tape thing and all that mm -hmm. stuff you find mm -hmm. out that it's all phony mm -hmm. you know for and, and for instance I wasn't really a fan of Trump at all you know I think he's just a shyster you know crooked you know he's how many times can you go bankrupt and keep playing the system but mm -hmm. he does but there's so many other things it's just like assange is still being held 
I mean, yes. uh, this Jeffrey Epstein uh, thing, and, and there's no real investigation to that. They're just sticking with he committed suicide, you know, and, and mm. nobody believes it. No one. And they go, well, where's the list? Where's the people then? The, the you know, the, yeah, the, they weren't the revealed child running. Wild. and Yeah. So people are shrugging their shoulders. But, um, okay, well, that's another topic. But I'll try to, I'll try to have Whitney on. Okay. Web. Yeah. Have a good night, Glenn. Thank you. Okay.